Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. Of course, brought to you by the Nashville Scene and the Nashville Post. My name is Braden Gall, and you can get to me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And my name is Michael Gallagher. I am the sports reporter for the Post and the Scene, and you can follow me on Twitter at MGSports underscore. Happy New Year, Michael. How are you, buddy? Happy New Year to you, too. <laughs> um, a lot of stuff to get to today on the show. What what? We, we've kind of talked a lot about the future of the franchise for many, many, many episodes now. And I think there is we want to put ourselves into David Poyle's shoes here. Um, and we're going to have a little converse, a shorter conversation about what is the best possible case scenario for this team. We're going to dive into this February thing. F- Philip Forsberg um, and the month of February, it, it seems to be a social media phenomenon. I did some way too much digging and research into Philip Forsberg's split stats and all this historical data with his career. And like, it's just not really a thing. So I want to know where it came from and why people are obsessed with it because right now he's on a tear. Technically that was December. (laughs) It wasn't wasn't even January, much less February, but people are already calling it that on Twitter and I don't understand. So we're going to take a really deep dive into Philip Forsberg's production over the course of his career as a Nashville predator, what we can expect from him Uh, moving forward. Of course, we've got maybe some signs of some development at a particular position. We'll dive into that today. You're working on a piece about Tanner Janot. Um, but I want to get started with how we should view this team. Is it the last 13 games and the 27th best offense in the NHL and the 28th power play in the NHL, a team that's five, four and five or five, excuse me, four, five and four in its last 13, or is this team four, one and two scoring 28 goals? I think 16 goals in their last three games and is now beating some bad teams and over 500. I, I'm, we'll, we'll do that to start the show. Cause how, are they a four goal per game team, Michael? Is that actually possible? Don't um, don't it, don't even start that. <laughs> well, at least we got some positive stuff at the beginning of the show. So points in seven, six out of seven games. So we'll discuss all of that here coming up momentarily. However, the gold standard is brought to you by. That would be Jaspers. It would be. It would be Jaspers. The parking is still very much. Free. That's right. There you go. This is not as. It's not it's not a trick question. It's still free. And also great, by the way. It's not just free. It's not like tiny little compact spots that are all like parallel. Like it's just like a legitimately good parking lot in downtown Nashville, which is very rare and very free. It's right outside the building, too. There's no walking. (laughs) It's like the most American thing ever. Like, ah. I We're can't setting the I... bar really low here, but there's <laughs> you go down you go down to Broadway, man. You're gonna have to park a mile or so away. You're paying 30, 40 bucks, and you're gonna have to walk all the way there. It's very inconvenient. Uh also $10 smash burgers, three dollar beers during Preds games, home and road, especially when they're the games are not on your local cable provider. <laughs> that's a neither that's a that's a complaint for another day, but um obviously jaspers gets every single game you go into jaspers you can watch the game and and frankly the menu is good for all occasions uh they've got the flatbreads which are delicious if you want to go in for like a lunch they got great appetizers if you're going in with the guys uh or the friends to watch a game they've got a legitimately awesome entree menu if you're taking the spouse for a nice meal you know maybe on a friday night or something you're going to park for free which is attached to the building as michael has pointed out it's a that's good journalism right there by you (laughs) It's, it's, it is, in fact, attached to the building. I was quite uh, the investigative reporter in college. <laughs> intrepid. I've heard people call you intrepid, an intrepid reporter. Yeah. Me- Megan Sealing started that and Gover's kind of run with it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and of course, the game room is free. So, if you you know, no matter what occasion you're celebrating, if you're there and you want to go do something, take a little break from the meal, take a little break from the game. You got intermission reports going on. You don't want to watch commercials. You go over there, you play some air hockey for free, pop a shot for free, ski ball for free. You walk out with the grab-and-go market, you swing by, you grab some cheesecake, you take it home to the kids, and everybody wins. It's it's a pretty good place, guys. I'm, I'm telling you. <laughs> go, go check out Jasper's uh, over on West End. Okay, so how should people look at this team? I mean, we were very negative last week. You and I have been <laughs> fairly negative about this team most of the season. Maybe that's fair. Maybe it's unfair. Mostly, I think it's fair. Um, this is still a team. Yes, they've scored six goals twice. Yes, they've gotten points in six of their last seven. They're four, one, and two in those seven games. They've scored 28 goals. That's four per game, 16 in the last three. But they're also coming off one of the longest losing streaks of the season just before that. They're four, five, and four in their last 13. How should Is, is the middle ground the obvious answer here that they are not the four goal per game team, but they're also not the 27th in scoring team? Or do you still need to see a lot more before you decide to move them out of the basement of the NHL offensive scoring, not going to make the playoffs 
category of team. If you're, if you're asking me, I need to see a lot more. I'm still not a believer in this team. I see three losses against playoff teams, teams that you're going to have to beat if you somehow squeak into the playoffs. I see wins over Chicago, Anaheim, and Montreal. Like, yeah, congratulations. You scored six goals against Montreal. You should. They're terrible. <laughs> These are teams you should be beating. We shouldn't be throwing a parade, marching down Broadway like, hey, we just beat the Canadians. Like, the Canadians are a bad team. You should have beat them by a, by a few goals. Really, the Edmonton wins the only notable one. And this whole, you know, points in X of X many games is a bit misleading. Like, now, if it's points in 15 to 16 games, okay, that's noteworthy. But we're talking about six to seven. It's a small sample size. It's basically a fancy way of saying that they're four, one, and two in their last seven. Two overtime losses there. They're barely above 500 because those overtime losses do still count as losses. There's two points that they left on the table that, that just it really bothers me. Those two points would put them right now in the standings ahead of Colorado and St. Louis, and they'd only be three points out of the wild card instead of six points out of the wild card. Now, now are you are you saying two points against Dallas? Or are you saying one point? Because I guess they would have been. It's clearly they gave up one point, but they had a chance at the second point. You're saying in overtime? No, they left Dallas? two points on the table. The OT losses to Colorado and Vegas. Oh, okay, okay. I, I was gonna say you give up a goal in the last in fifty with with whatever in less than a minute to go. That's choking away a point right there. Yeah, I mean, if if we're going that route, you could argue that they left four points on the table and they would be in third place in the central division right now. I mean, just, <laughs> they're leaving they're leaving easy points on the table. A one zero loss to St. Louis, a two one loss to Winnipeg, and both of those in overtime. And then you have the two the two OT losses to Colorado and to Vegas. I just you're you're leaving points on the table, and I, and I think the answer to your question is we can't look at them as as whatever they are a sixteen fourteen and six team right now. They ranked 27th in the NHL in goal scored per game. They have the 28th ranked power play. Their penalty kill, which was top 10 for most of the season, I said this on It's All Your Fault, their their penalty kill, which was really good because they're giving up a lot more penalties. They got away from the disciplined hockey that they had been playing for for the middle part of, of the last, what, 10, 15 games. They're they're putting other teams on the power play more. So their, their penalty kill, which was top 10, I think is now 17th. We're seeing this team kind of steadily decline a little bit. They have their little peaks and their valleys, but it's just I, I think this is this is call it what it is. It, it's a team that has a barely above 500 record right now. And that's that's how they're playing. Like, yeah, the, the wins over Montreal and Anaheim and Chicago. Pat yourself on the back for those. The Edmonton win. That was a good game. That was a good win. But other than that, like you're, you're beating scrubs here. Like, I'll be impressed if you can come out of this next stretch of five or six games with at least three wins out of Carolina, Washington, Ottawa, Toronto, Montreal, Buffalo, Calgary, like give me three or four wins out of the out of that stretch and then we'll talk. So I said last week that I, I had moved up my like sell it all off, break it all down, tear it all down, begin the rebuild, but like do it for real this time. I said I'd move that up from the trade deadline to like middle of January because they've got because they've started showing some signs of life here, which is the sort of the weirdest part about hockey is that you you can so, be so devastated and the NFL does this, but they do it in like one 60 minute game, right? Like on Monday morning, you wake up and you're devastated or you're ecstatic and it's over one game, which is even dumber than hockey. But like with hockey, it's you go on this six game losing streak and you're like, oh, my God, it's it's over. Blow it all up. And then you come on a week and a half later and you've won, you know, you've won four out of seven. And again, four, one and two, if they do that the rest of the way, that's an extraordinary record the rest of the way. What are the odds that they do that? Eh, we'll see. But I am willing to move, to push it even. <laughs> this is what happens. This Do is we... how David Poyle gets you. This is what he does every <laughs> damn year. Every damn year. This is what David Poyle does. We're talking about a team that's had a five-game losing streak and a six-game losing streak, probably within a month of each other. And we're sitting here giving him, we're cutting him more slack because they I'm won not. a couple games. I'm not doing that. What I'm saying is... is You're pushing back your timeline. You were firm games. on this last week. You a were couple firm games. On no, no. This, this is why David Poyle still has a job, because this is how Predators ownership works right now. Well, we won a couple games. Let's give him a little more time. Maybe he knows what he's doing. This is exactly why the fan base is so mad with the way that this team is run, because this happens every year. Yo, you took your feisty pills today. I like it, Gallagher. Um, so what I'm saying is, is the five. You want to read my Twitter DMs? This is why I'm so mad about it, because I have people saying this exact same thing to me and I have to respond to them and be like, look, I fully understand. I, I feel you. I can't do anything about it, though. All right. I want to be very clear because apparently I wasn't clear a couple of weeks ago. I want the sell off and the rebuild to happen before the deadline. I don't think you can hire a GM and hire a coach before then. I, you can fire a coach, certainly. And as I've said, three weeks and four weeks in a row now, at any moment, if we wake up and see a press release that John Hines has been removed as, as the head coach for the Predators, I will not be surprised. 
It will not. It will not take me. I'll be like, okay, that makes sense. What I'm saying is, is the trade deadline was my date for you. Got to get every. You got to know what you are before then, and you need to trade and sell off all the best pieces you've got. That might include UC Soros if you're going to give yourself a chance to truly kickstart the rebuild. And if we got a question. Frank Valley's piece. Matthias Ekholm's on the table too. Right, and and that's every dude. I'm saying everybody. Like, I, if you're doing the whole thing, the Blackhawks gave up a bunch of they gave they gave up everything. And again, we talked about this now for weeks. What I thought was, all right, it's getting closer and closer because of the losing streak, because there's no signs of life. It's getting closer and closer for me, that line in the sand where I say, all right, you've got to switch your mentality in the front office. And that was the the road trip. I'm going to give it a couple of more games, basically. I'm adding like a week or two. And I'm going to say the end of by, by the end of January, maybe the last week of January, you need to be accepting phone calls for your players. Like if 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 you go on some crazy tear and you win ten out of eleven, and you finish the month of January, and you're in second place in the division, we're gonna have a different conversation. But that that is like barring that, I still think the entire complete tear down and sell off needs to happen. I think you need to know about that before the end of January. So it's a moving goalpost. I'm admitting that it's a moving goalpost, but it's only moving a little bit. It's not, it's not moving a lot. I'm not moving it a lot here. I'm just sort of adjusting it as new information comes to light, man. You know? Have you seen anything from this team that makes you believe that they could go on a run where they pull off a six or a seven game win streak, though? Because I haven't. Well, not not necessarily. But I this is what makes hockey a strange game. We're going to talk about some of the young centers that are that are that are playing well with with Glass Novak and and uh, Yusuf Parson and Philip Forsberg starting to score. Duchesne gets on the board, Yossi's scoring, you know, like the power play has gotten slightly better. They are scoring slightly more goals, but, but I want to see it. Like you said, I want to see it against good teams. It, you can't just, my... you can't score 12 goals against two, two of the worst teams in the NHL and say that the problems are fixed. You need to do it consistently over the course of an entire month. And, and my issue with this roster, with this team is it's, it's not like they're like, it's not like UC Saros has been out for a month and they're waiting for him to come back. They're not getting like a missing piece back. They're not getting someone's going to make them better. Like for the, for the most part of the, most of the season, the roster has been the roster. Like I know when they said Ryan McDonough was going to be out for possibly a month and a half and he was only out for two weeks, he missed like five games. Lozon came back really Mark Borvietsky is the only person they've been without for an extended period of time. For the most part, this roster has been relatively healthy. So they're doing this. They're 16, 14, and 6 with what their roster would be if they were if they were to make it into the playoffs. That's my issue is they have everybody yeah, they're going to have short of a massive deal at the trade deadline that brings in a score or maybe a, a, a top-pairing defenseman to stabilize something. Like I just don't see this team. I don't see this roster developing and growing and, and finding that, that maturation and finding that chemistry that's going to turn them into a playoff roster because this is who they are right now. So I think some of this, and we'll we'll talk about Philip Forsberg and his track record, and I think his career stats and sort of the streakiness or lack thereof from last year, and and this whole February thing. And I think some of that is that his that what's 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 wrong about Forsberg, and I'll, this is a tease for our conversation coming up, is that it's not February; it's January that he has been a dominant force in over the last few seasons. And part of this is he's starting to show some signs of this. And if he has a dominant January. That still gives this team time enough to build. The reason I would add, and that's this is our next topic, the reason I would say, if I'm spinning this and saying, look, let's see what this team can do for a month, which is kind of what I'm saying. It is about Cody Glass. It is about Tommy Novak. It's about Yuso Parsonen. Young players playing in critical situations and playing better and actually developing, which is the whole thing about John Hines. Actually being better again, glass seven, you know, he's played like 26 games, but he's got only 10 points, seven, six points in his last seven games. Novak has, he's been called up there four, one and two since the recall, six points uh, in seven games. Yuso Parson in four points, six games. I, I think if you can start to see and make the case for those three guys to play every single night in those situations, and they're going to be creating the chances that they are, or in glass's case, getting a lot of tough, situational hockey thrown at him and they continue to get better they're still they're all really young they're they're all really young and they're all quote unquote getting better in this tiny window i need to see it in a larger window before i say that that yes they've got secondary scoring now you know what i mean yeah no and i mean look cody glass three goals 10 points in 26 games parson in three goals nine points 22 games 
Novak, three goals, 6.7 games. Like that's a, that's a really good start for three really young players. I think, I think the long-term goal is for Cody glass to be centering the top line or the second line at some point in the next two to three years. I think Parson could be your second line center if glass somehow works into that first line. I think Tommy Novak is a perfect bottom six center because he does everything really well. And he doesn't really make those, those bad mistakes that we've seen happen, you know, with the bottom six costing, you know, a couple goals, defensive turnover, stuff like that. Right. The the issue that I have here is they're playing really well now. And and I, I hate to, to keep hitting this drum, but I feel like it's because John Hines hasn't had enough time to ruin them. And that, that sounds a little hyperbolic. <laughs> that sounds a little hyperbolic. And I'm, I'm not saying that John Hines is a ruiner of young talent, but I feel like the wow. reason they, they got called up to the NHL is because of the work that Carl Taylor and the Milwaukee Admirals coaching staff has done with them. They run largely the same system. So, yes, the system is a little bit as it plays into a factor there. But I feel like Carl Taylor does a really good job of shaping these guys and developing them and getting them ready for the NHL. And and this is why I think Ellie Tolvin failed in Nashville, because he did that with Ellie Tolvin. Ellie Tolvin was a 20 goal, 40 to 50 point player for the for the Admirals for for at least a season, maybe two seasons, I believe. He came up and he did not get used properly with this Predators roster. I would hate to see the same thing happen with Cody Glass and Yusuf Parson and Tommy Novak. So, and, I, and again, I'm not saying the answer is fire John Hines. I'm just I'm I, I I see where you're going, and I and I think with those three players specifically and how talented they are, the potential is there. I just don't have a lot of hope or optimism that if John Hines is the coach and they run this this whole physicality based offense or whatever, I just don't know if those players can still if they can be if they can take this. 20 game stretch that they that they've all had. Well, minus Novak. If I don't know if they could take this 20 game stretch of success they've had and translate that into a full season's worth. I, I don't think so. I don't know if they can either. And going back to the very first question, which is what is this team? Are they more the four, five, and four that's 27th in the NHL over the last 13? Or are they more the four, one, and two with 28 goals and four per game? And I don't think the answer is even in the middle. I think the answer is closer to to the former. I think it's closer to the Again, this is this is the problem, and this speaks to the, the the question we got on Twitter about are the Predators in the worst position of any team in the division because Arizona and Chicago are doing the rebuild thing so well and so ridiculously emphatically, which again is a lot of bad hockey for Arizona in this case and for Chicago technically since since the 2017 playoffs or 2016 playoffs. Um, I I think they're closer to the you know. <laughs> 36 36 and 10 team you know like that and that's the place i think to your point all season long is the place you don't want to be which is you know you're going to miss the playoffs by three spots or or five points and you're not going to be good enough to be a top five draft pick in the lottery percentage wise and again in between these two two teams that we're talking about here is that middle ground that you don't want to be in and and i think Again, I don't I don't think they're the worst franchise in the division. I, I wouldn't say that they're in the worst situation of anybody in the division, but it's not that far off. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's the frustrating far frustrating part. For also fans. a frustrating part, too. Yes. That's the frustrating part for fans is they're in this limbo. They're 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 not good enough to be a perennial playoff team, but they're not bad enough to get that top five, top yeah. ten draft pick. And I think I think fans would get on board either way, good or bad, if they just knew the direction this team was heading. Right now, we don't know what direction this team is heading because ownership doesn't want to say anything. We're looking at two to three years before Bill Haslam takes over the, the lead role, the, the lead ownership role. And like Adam said last year, I don't th- or last week, I don't think Bill Haslam's going to come in and clean house like everyone's hoping he will. I think the only thing that changes with Bill Haslam is we maybe hear from ownership a little bit more because he's comfortable being yeah. that mouthpiece. But until David Poyle has to answer to somebody, nothing is going to change because David Poyle has carte blanche to do whatever he wants with his franchise and ownership's going to let him because they think that David Poyle knows everything about hockey. And I'm not saying David Poyle doesn't, but that that's that's what's wrong with this team right now is David Poyle doesn't have to answer to anybody. So he's going to keep doing what he's doing regardless. I think fans could get behind a full rebuild if they knew that there was going to be actual change. And I, and I think that's that's why a lot of people are so pissed off on Twitter and Facebook and a lot of people are so angry with this team right now is because they feel like they're stuck in the mud and they're never going to get out. Uh, and that's the exact conversation, I think. That, that's the obligat- That was your obligatory rant about the middle ground, stuck in the middle ground, that you've done that every episode, I think, for the last six months uh, since you started. And we're going to keep it going like that. 
because it's still true. It hasn't changed. I, I think so most something changes. It's very relevant. I know. I know. I think I think you're absolutely correct, and I think most fans agree with you. I I my I do feel like I drop sometimes is to again we're gonna have a deep dive into Philip Forsberg for example. Like we're trying to have some fun with the team as well, and I do think watching Cody Glass grow into a player that can take on tough situations with the top line of the other team and defensive zone faceoff situations and actually succeed in those moments to watch Novak and Parson in kind of again. And I think they got this uh, off of the, the Bally sports Twitter account where he said, uh, where Willie said that, that, that they are 23, eight and three with Tommy Novak in the lineup. So basically just play Tommy Novak for the rest of his, of the season. That that's up. That part is obvious, but they created a, their lines are creating chances at, at least against bad teams. Now let's see you do it consistently for a month for the month of January against good teams. And if you can do it consistently for the month of January against good teams, then maybe you can start to shift our opinion about where this team is going this year. But you got to do that. And you haven't done that yet, because every time we see these little six or seven game runs of good quality hockey and maybe some growth and maybe some potential, you go back and you have a seven game losing streak. So it's the, it's not like it's not that it's not warranted, Michael. It's that we're. We haven't been given one. The team itself can't decide what it is. <laughs> like on the ice, the outcomes are half a no, one I and get half it. the other. I get it. I'm just I'm just saying I understand why why the fan base is so irate right. right now. If I if I was a hockey fan and I was following the Predators, I would rip my hair out every single game because they're losing. And then you're like, okay, well, here comes the rebuild. And then, like you said earlier, they win yeah, a couple yeah. games and it's like, okay, well, let's let's hold off on that. Like Predators fans, I hope they're getting their meds refilled. That's all I'll say. <laughs> what did you say at the beginning? This is what David Poyle does to you. <laughs> he does. And again, uh, look, David Poyle, great guy, like really smart, knows his hockey. Like, I, I really love him as a person, but I think he's come to the point in his career where he's taken the Predators as far as he can. 2017, 2016, 2017, he peaked. That was it. It's okay. Like, you you did an admirable, jo- admirable job, David Poyle. It's time to to give the keys to someone else. Uh, so we're going to talk about Philip Forsberg here and really dive into this whole February thing, which I find to be just utterly fascinating. We ha- we have it's Twitter, it's social media. I get it. We have to have like a, a, a kitschy nickname for everything, but at least make it freaking accurate. Twitter. It okay? started. It started in 2015. Don't, don't get don't get started on it yet. Don't get started. Yet. <laughs> I'm going to give you. We're we're both going to have some time to explore the studio space uh, coming up in a minute. I I know you're working on a piece though about Tanner Janot because we've talked about him. Secondary scoring is why this team hasn't is not winning games. The, the stars are okay. Philip Forsberg's coming around. Yossi's coming around. Duchesne's coming around, and and that stuff's all important too. But you also need these other guys, like we've mentioned, Glass, Novak, Parson, and the secondary guys to start performing. But a big part of that would be twenty six goals from Tanner Janot. <laughs> if if they were getting that this year, we might be in in a different situation. Uh, I know you're working on a story about him and and his complete disappearance from the score sheet. Yeah, it's a uh, it's something that's bothered me for a while because it's Tanner Janot should be a top six forward and he should be scoring like a top six forward and he's just kind of been mostly invisible this year. Thirty six games, three goals, eight points. I mean, he's still he's still blocking shots and and hitting people and he's still taking the penalties. He's still doing all of like the roughneck things that he's known for, but his offensive game has really kind of fallen off a cliff lately. And I was kind of doing a dive into the numbers to see why. And and I don't want to give everything away. I want you to read the story, but don't don't give it away. He's played with, he's played with nine different line combinations this year. I I have to go back and check on money puck, but I think that's the most of any other forward on this team playing with nine different line combinations. And the, the line that he's the best with, he hasn't played with hardly since the first couple of weeks. So I did, I did a dive into the numbers. I kind of tried to lay it all out to, to explain. This is why Tanner Janot has not been as good as he was last year and here's how they can maybe switch that up and, and fix it but it was really interesting look at the numbers money puck natural stat trick had a lot of great uh stats and stuff on there to just kind of help explain and tell the tell the story with numbers if you will about why tanner Janot led all rookies and goals last year and why he's got three goals this year and we kind of saw this a little bit at the end of the year where he went what 12 13 14 games without scoring and we were just kind of like, oh, well, just the end of the year. They're making the playoff push like we just kind of chalked it up. But now I feel like it's a continuation of what happened last year. So and the reason why I think this is notable is because Tanner Janot is a free agent at the end of this year. We we're looking at him probably make, you know, two, three million dollars a season, given what he how he did last year. Now, if if this continues and he finishes with six goals and 14 points at the end of the year this year, which I really hope he doesn't. But 
Yeah. If he finishes with that kind of a season, I mean, he costs himself quite a bit of money. And then you're asking yourself, do the Predators even resign him at that point? So I think it's just a fascinating story with what ha- what's happening with Taron Janot this year. I, I agree. It's a fascinating story. Now, I think they resign him e- either way, but I, I you could spin this. If it does end up being a complete rebuild and a complete teardown, you could be getting your former rookie of the year candidate and, and you know, top one of your better goal scorers to like on a cheaper deal because he struggled during the rebuild year in theory. Yeah. Again, that's sort of a cynical. <laughs> it's sort of a cynical way to look at it, but it's but it's possible. Um, or if he if he finishes with like say twenty points or less, that's a really down year. If someone comes in and offers you a, a third round draft pick for him, if you're David Poyle, do you turn that down? I I, I think you keep him, but that's awfully enticing because then you're looking at he had yeah. one really good year, one really good one ba- one really bad year. Which Tanner Jano are we talking about? Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I I think he can flourish. Like I've. Once you see skills in a player, like this is why, of course, Ellie Tolvanen scored a goal in his <laughs> in his debut with the Kraken. Like I think it's why Fiala went and did what he did. I I think that these guys have have once you see the ability, I don't think it goes anywhere. Like I I think he's he's talented, he's physical, he's broken through every wall that's ever been put in front of him as far as his career goes, uh, and I think he's I, I think he's going to be fine. Like most of this team. They have just had major issues in the offensive end this year. Like, that's it. Like, that, that's a big part of it. He's still leading the team in penalty minutes. He's still a, a physical presence on the ice. I think he's choosing, maybe choosing to use his physicality at the wrong times. I think that could be a part of the analysis here is that he, you can see him get frustrated with, with the lack of opportunity, and then it ends up turning into a penalty because it's it's not happening the way he wants it to happen. And so I think he's got to he's got to work through that and that's part of being a professional athlete. So yeah. um make sure you check out Michael's piece of course Nashville Post Nashville scene when that comes out uh what? This week? Next week when you got that coming out? Yeah, I'm shooting for Friday morning hopefully. We'll see. <laughs> Best laid plans in, in media. Yeah. Uh, as, well, as we got we got a lot of stuff going on. Titans are keeping me busy and, and all that. So Friday Friday morning will probably be around when when it'll come out. All right, so we'll look at the five-game road trip. We'll talk about the best-case scenario in David Poyle's mind, and we will give you a deep dive into February in just a minute. However, the gold standard is brought to you by the wonderful and amazing folks at Jaspers. That is correct. It is still Jaspers. It's never changed. Jaspers has been a partner and a supporter of the Nashville Predators through thick and thin from the beginning. No questions asked. They're sort of like Preds ownership. They just support the Predators. (laughs) David Poyle. Is that bad? Is that a bad thing to say about your advertiser? <laughs> no, I mean, if you're trying to bring Preds fans in, you want to connect with the fan base, I guess. But hey, the food is great. The specials are great. The parking is free. They're sort of attacking all. I've said this for years now, like they're destroying all the ec- epidemics that affect our dining experiences in Nashville. Par- having to pay for parking, bad drink specials, masquerading as good drink specials. I'm sorry. If you give me a $14 glass of wine for $13, that's not a drink special. That that's just that's a that's a special trying to trick you into some coming into their bar. Three dollar beers is a freaking drink special. Okay. <laughs> I was thinking is, there's a David there's a David Poyle joke in there somewhere. Oh no, oh, God, <laughs> that is a drink special. A ten dollar burger that is worth fifteen dollars and a three dollar beer that's worth eight. That is a drink special. That is a happy hour, like real happy hours, real sports bar food, not like garbage sports bar food that makes you feel bad, smells bad taste bad like i know i've been to multiple places in this city they will remain nameless that that i will not like my buddies are like hey you want to watch the game i'm like no i'm not going there i'm not gonna eat there it's terrible not gonna go food's garbage let's go to jasper's um and the parking is free by the way and the specials are amazing so like they're just they're just attacking all the problems in our society michael they, now can they score on the power play i don't know i, I don't know they they've got some athletes waiting tables over there at jasper's very friendly service too i will say i was very impressed when i went in there yeah great people great folks awesome stuff over there jasper so go check out jasper's everybody uh of course all right so we'll get to david Poyle, best case scenario in his brain we're going to try to dive into his brain and see what the best case scenario for this franchise could be and so it's starting to pop up all over the internet it's all over twitter now uh, Phil Forsberg. So there's a couple of stats here I want to lay out because Phil Buary is apparently here. And I think it's, I, I don't think everything needs a stinking nickname in this world, but also if you're going to have a nickname, it should be accurate. It should be something that does actually describe you or your career or whatever. So I want to lay out a couple of numbers here for everybody. So 14 games prior. So, so Philip Forsberg has scored eight points in the last four games. He had five goals. He had the hat trick. Who's like ahead of every player in franchise history for hat tricks. 
He's had five goals in three games, and then he had an assist against Montreal. So in the last four, he started to heat up, right? He's starting to produce. He's up to 14 goals, starting to score at that clip that we saw potentially last season, which could be that 30, 35, 40 goal scoring mark. Which is fairly normal, as we're going to describe for Philip Forsberg, in the month of January. Okay? In the month of January. So here are his career. So he's starting to score. That's number one bullet point. Number two bullet point. Here are his career averages by for, for his entire career by month. October, 0.38 goals per game. November, 0.37 goals per game. December, 0.37 goals per game. So basically, October, November, December, identical scoring, right? 0.38, 0.37, By far, his most productive scoring month of his career, January, 0.44, so almost a tenth of a, 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 what is that, a tenth of a percent of a goal per game more for Philip Forsberg, 0.44. February is number two, 0.41. March, 0.34, by far his worst scoring month of his career is 0.34. April, 0.42. So technically, actually, February is his third most productive month in terms of scoring goals. So here's the thing. I, I want to know when it started. Like, when did we officially, I think I know, but I want to, when did the February thing become a thing, in your opinion? I think it was the 2015-16 season, so it would have been February of 2016. 12 goals, 16 points, and what was it, 13, 14 games, I think. 13 games, yep. Um, I think the reason it started was because he had the two hat tricks within a three-game span. He had a hat trick and four points against in a 5 nothing win against St. Louis. And then he had a hat trick and a 3-2 win over Toronto. I think I think if he just scored all those goals in, in the month of February, it would have been fine. But because he had two hat tricks within three games, someone out there was like, oh, hey, February, this is cool. Well, and then and, the and, next then the next year, yeah, he yeah. scored a bunch again. So they're like, oh, this is a trend. But really, those are the only two years that he really went off in February. So the next year, he had the back-to-back hat tricks. Right. He went back yeah. to back against Calgary and Colorado. And he I feel like it's more about the hat tricks than it is the overall goals he scored. Maybe you're right, because then at the end of that month, he scored the back to back hat tricks and scored in like seven straight games, sort of ending ending the month of February. So 2016 and 2017, those two seasons, of course, one of which results in the in the run to the cup. Philip Forsberg has two great Februaries. No question about it. Now, two of the, the I think two of the complaints about Philip Forsberg maybe not being an elite A plus number one top dog like like you've got twelve thirteen million dollar players around the NHL has been somewhat injury concerns. He always misses about 10, 14, 10 to fourteen games, ten to fifteen games per year, but also the sort of the streakiness. And I think if you go back and look at last season and you try to find the hot streak or the cold streak that defined his season last year, which was his best goal scoring year of the of his career. Part of the reason he had such a great season was that there was no real streak. There was just kind of other than the very end of the year where he went like eight or nine games without a goal. And that's where we're like, oh, is he going to get to 40? And then he finally does. And I think he breaks Legwan's record as well. He's largely he was so consistent last season that that's why he had the best year of his career. Now, let's do some let's do some research since that 2017. OK, 2018. Um, he had, he was out, he missed the entire month of January. So zero goals, obviously, cause he didn't play in January, two goals in 11, get two goals in 11 games in February, or he scored in two games out of 11 in February. So that's not, that's not getting it done in 2019. He scored in three games in February out of 14. So that's not really getting it done in 2020. He was absolutely dominant in January. He scored in nine out of 12 games in January. He scored zero goals. <laughs> zero goals in 16 games in the entire month of February and like the beginning of March. He went 16 games without scoring a goal the entire month of February. Now, he did score in four out of eight in 2021, but that was kind of the start of the season, right? Like that's that weird yeah. started started like January 14th. So that was kind of weird. And then, of course, Last year, he was elite in January. Seven different games out of nine, he scored goals, and he scored in four out of eight games in February. Oh, by the way, the Preds were 6-2-1 and one last year in January in games, in those game, those nine games. So Philip Forsberg, in part, last season, helped, helped with the season by, by scoring in January and winning games in January. So he has been elite in January for like his entire career, but in particular the last few years. And in the last four or five seasons, he hasn't done anything in February. Yeah, I mean, really what, what I'm taking away from, from what you just said is he needs about three months to really 
find his scoring stroke <laughs> in every season. January seems to be when he really kind of turns it on. And I, he hates February as much as anyone else does more than anyone else does. I'll, I'll say, I can't remember <laughs> the last time someone asked him about it. It might've been a year or two ago. And someone asked them, they're like, Oh, February is coming up. Do you have any, any plans to, to go off against any certain teams or whatever? And he, and he sighed and he was like, is that still a thing? Like he, he, he hates February just as much as we do, because I think he knows in his head, like it's not real. He had two really good years in the month of February. And, th- and that was really it. So it is I, it's, statistically, it is his third best month of his career out of seven. It, it is his third best month. So not again, not a terrible month for his career, but not not even the top two. January's number one. April's number two in terms of goals per game. And since 2017, he has not had an elite February. To There's been some solid like a couple of OK ones, but a lot of them are some of them. He's just not even doing anything. So I, I don't. I think to your I think your point is the thing we should discuss here, which is, again, almost, you know, 0.38 in October, 0.37 in November, 0.37 in December, pretty solid and consistent the first three months of the year. And then for whatever reason, he has been significantly better in January for his entire career. And then again, February is not a bad month. So he I have, he, a, I have a theory on this. All right, go, go for it, because he kicks it up in January and, it, and he's doing it right now. He's literally doing it right now. I think it's because and you can with the exception of. Two years of the Peter Lavillette era, I would say the Predators always find themselves in the boat that they're in now when they're in January, when the record is close to 500, maybe a little bit better than 500. It's like, is this a playoff team? Are they going to be buyers or sellers at the trade deadline? And then this is the this is the time when Philip Forsberg throws a team on his back and goes out and he scores scores a bunch of goals and probably wins them three or four games they shouldn't have won because he's probably tired of hearing about it. He's probably tired of the trade rumors like. I don't think he he enjoyed like oh Victor Arvidsson's on, on the trade block oh Matias Ekholm's on the trade block like he doesn't yeah. like being asked about that stuff so I my theory is that subconsciously Philip Forsberg goes off in January because he doesn't want to deal with that distraction of are they going to be buyers or sellers at the trade deadline okay okay so that's an interesting question and and to your point he's got eight career hat tricks he just had another one uh, four of them came in the two Februarys we were talking about way back in fifteen and sixteen so it hasn't <laughs> it hasn't been a lot of hat tricks since then. Um, I, I, my question is, is I'm okay with that explanation. That explanation makes sense to me. And I think it's rational. Is there a follow-up to that that says, why can't you do that all 82 games? Or is that just not even possible to ask someone to do? No, I mean, that's, it's a legit follow-up, but I, I think it's more so you get to that point in January where it's like, okay, you're three months into the season. It's not like you're overreacting to the first four or five games of the year. I think in in that month, that's when Philip Forsberg probably feels more pressure personally than anyone else on the team to start winning games and start producing results and stuff because no none of the players like I am fully convinced all the players in the locker room do not want to talk to us ever. Like after any game win loss, they can win 15 <laughs> to nothing. They don't want to see us. They don't want to answer our questions. So it's probably draining on them when they're three months into the season. Then they have to go in and ask all the answer all these questions that we asked them about. So and so is on the trade block. What do you think of that? Do you think this team can compete for a Stanley Cup? All this stuff. And I'm not saying like I think it's just a matter of Philip Forsberg rising to the occasion. I don't think he's like oh it's January I got to flip the squit flip the switch. I think it's just a matter of him playing his best really when the team needs him to play his best. Other than you know making the playoffs. Uh, by the way, 42 game-winning goals for Philip Forsberg in his career. That is now at his number one all-time ahead of David Leguan. So the record book now just reads Forsberg, Yossi, Rene, <laughs> just everywhere. Um, and he's 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 up over 500 points now as well for his career. So he is only 64 away from Leguan. So clearly could pass him next year. I like this. to think he listens to us and he's trying to do this David Legwan purification of the Preds record books just for you. <laughs> just for me. Um, but I think you're I think there's some something to that because the human element of having to answer. I mean, you and I sit down to do this show each week and we're kind of like this team is still just in the middle. We do, one week it's they've had a bad streak and we're not sure who they are or we think they're terrible. The next week they have a good streak and we're not sure who they are, but maybe they're OK. Maybe they're getting better. And, and Having to answer those same exact questions in the locker room every single night after every single home game is is got to be there. There has to be a, a, an impact on you as a human being. Like there's a human yeah. element there to this. I'm sure but, he would rather and sit there and answer questions about us asking him about scoring a hat trick, or he would rather us ask him about them winning five to two than he would about be like, oh, this is your fourth loss in a row. Do you really think you can climb back into the playoff race? Stuff like that. So I'm not. Again, I think it's just him rising to the occasion. I don't think he 
does it on purpose. I just think January is when the best version of Philip Forsberg comes out because usually it has to for the Predators to start winning games. Right, and I, I think that's totally valid and fair. And it, it is a crunch. There is something about the length of the hockey season where the, the reason we talk about Derrick Henry and the Titans in like the the winter time and in December and in January is because like that's when you have to be at your best to be a good playoff team. And in the NHL, it's a little different. It's slower moving and it takes more like a couple of weeks of games, 10, 12, 15 games to find yourself. And when the, by the time you get to January, you're sort of running out of time to flip the switch and find that chunk of games. Like the, you, you have to find that 10, 12, 18 game stretch where you play really high level hockey if you expect to be a good postseason team. And, and I think players know that that's these guys are veterans they get paid millions of dollars and they've been around a long time they know that i just don't think we need can we just put an end to the february thing on twitter or, or facebook or whatever it is whatever application you're using these days can you just if you see it report it to the authorities okay Done. like be a good friend what what is it be a, <laughs> be be a support system for other people <laughs> Friends don't let friends tweet about February. <laughs> friends don't let friends tweet about February. So if you see it on Twitter, call that shit out. Okay. <laughs> he doesn't like it. It's not technically true. Let's let's all let's all address the major issues of our society in our time. Okay. Getting rid of a nickname for a month. How about <laughs> there's also <laughs> when you say it like that, um, there's also not like a good you don't need to have a nickname for everything. We could just call it like He's really good when the team needs him most at the turn of the, the calendar year. America America is really bad at that. Like the United States, every scandal has to be something gate too. Like it's everyone has this fascination with coming up with nicknames or shorthand for stuff like that. I don't I don't understand it. Well, if you would like to give us a nickname for why Philip Forsberg goes off around New Year's Eve, around New Year's Day, around this time of year, and it's not and not February. I, I suppose we'll take some requests because at least then it would be factually accurate. How about that? There you go. <laughs> uh, all right. I'm glad we've really, really done th some investigative work today on the show and solved again, some of the big <laughs> issues in, in, in society. Um, all right. So they're going to play at Carolina, at Washington, at Ottawa, at Toronto, at Montreal. Uh, then they get a couple of home games. I think we're going to learn a lot about this team in the next th two weeks with a lot of these games on the road. Um, Carolina's obviously playing really good hockey. Washington's a good team. They've got some good teams on there. They've got some bad teams on there as well. Um, I, but you you raised the question. We wanted to finish up the show today with a conversation about sort of, let's say all these things do go right. Let's say these young centers continue to play up to their potential. They continue to develop. They're in these roles. Glass, Novak, Parson, and they're in these roles. Forsberg is on a tear like we expect him to be in January. Duchesne and Yossi and Granlund and all these guys, Johansson, they're all scoring and producing. Secondary scoring is there. UC Saro stays healthy. I'm I'm laying the defense is healthy and playing solid, which it is right now. All of that happens. Every single possible thing that is that is could be good for this team happens. What exactly in David Poyle's mind is the best possible case scenario for this team? Because I, I mean, the easy answer is where we're going to win the Stanley Cup. But I don't think you can I don't I don't even think if you gave him truth serum and injected it into his veins, into his neck, that he could that he would tell you that this team could win a Stanley Cup. Yeah. And I, I don't know the answer to this question, which is why I kind of pose it to you. Maybe we could talk it through and find something that makes sense. But I mean, you look you look at it now. They have one point four eight million in cap space coming off the books next year. They have ten point two seven million. So I think cap friendly projects them to, to have around twelve and a half ish million in cap space. Which, okay, that's a that's a pretty sizable number. But then you look at the free agents next year. Cody Glass, Tanner Janot, Tommy Novak, Cole Smith, Mark Jankowski, Dante Fabro, Alex Carrier, Kevin Lankinen, Mark Borvietsky, Michael McCarron. Oh, that's all? Yeah. There, there's a lot of them. And you and you look at all these guys, with the exception of maybe Janot now, all these guys are probably going to get raises. I mean, Janot's making, I think, like 875000 a year or something like that. Like He's probably going to be around a $1 million if he continues on, on the trajectory he's on now. If he turns more into the player he was last year, you're looking at he can maybe be two and a half, three million dollar a year player. Tommy Novak's probably not going to get much of a raise. Cody Glass will probably get a small one. I I, I don't think Cole Smith should be re-signed, but Fabro and Carrier, like you're going to bring one of those two back probably. Um, Kevin Lankin and the way he's played, if you sign him to another one year deal, he's not going to be a million and a half next year. He's probably going to be closer to three million. I, I think Mark Borvieski and Michael McCarron are the only two guys on that list 
that probably won't be brought back just because Borvietsky with his issues with his health and stuff. And we don't know where McCarron's at being in the player assistance program and all that. I say all that because say, say you make it to the playoffs and, and you, you you get another first round exit with all those guys that are going to be free agents next year and the little money you're going to have. Are you is David Poyle going to sit there with a straight face and try to sell the fan base on we're we're this close. We, we're one more piece away. I don't I don't think they are. And then I think you get into the discussion that we've talked about the last couple of years or a couple weeks this team is only going to get better and it's going to start when, when UC Saros is traded because the, the haul he's going to bring back and draft picks and prospects is going to kickstart a rebuild. Frank Saravalli with daily Faceoff reported that Matias Ekholm is on the table. He said, there's some other guys as well. Ekholm will probably bring you back a pretty good haul as well. He's, he's, I think he, in my opinion, top 10 defenseman in the NHL. He's, he's in the first year of his contract. So, you know, you're going to have him for three more years and he's still in the prime of his career. Relatively, I think those- relatively affordable price point too. Yeah, I think those two guys can bring you back a good enough return that you that you maybe don't have to do three or four years of a rebuild like it did the Colorado Avalanche. I think I think that knocks at least a year, year and a half off your rebuild with what you bring back from those two players. But it's I, again, I, I don't know what best case scenario for David Poyle is. I think in his mind, just making it to the playoffs is fine because in his mind, we're a playoff team. We're doing good. We're making money. We're selling tickets, all this stuff. But the fans aren't happy with just being a playoff team and getting booted in the first round every year. No, I, 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 at, so I will say I don't think that's their best case scenario. I, I think now if you're this is this is like, you know, Nirvana utopia territory here, right? Like this is not we're not talking about normal life we're saying best possible situation which to me is like uc sorrow stealing an entire playoff series because he can do that he could do it he's good enough to do it it could happen if all the aging very expensive players on the team who are in their 30s all stay healthy some of which have an injury history forsberg mcdonough already like i know mcdonough's played a million games in the playoffs i know ekholm's always there you know johansson shows up every single night i mean i get it like but let's say every one of these expensive old players in their thirties is healthy, plays the entire season. They, they whether they're a wild card team, a, a first wild card team, or a three seed, that's best. I don't think I don't think they could argue that they're going to get to the two seed in the division. So let's say they're the three seed best case or a wild card, which means you're going to have to play the one seed in either of the first or second round, probably. Right? To me, a second round close series six or seven games where you lose after sorrow steals you a series to me that is your best probably your best case scenario in theory could that be two playoff wins Ugh, maybe even that is like every single thing has to be perfect you have to go be perfect in the regular season perfect in the postseason everybody has to be healthy everyone has to play at their best sorrows has to be amazing the penalty kill has to be lucky the power play has to get better and probably the other team has to lose their goaltender like that, that we're talking perfect, ideal, utopia scenario here. And that's still, yeah, I mean, and to me, that, that's the that's, second round. The best they could do is the second round. And and I, what does that do to your franchise long term? I, I, I don't know. I don't know what that benefits them. And I, I understand that there, there is a path, albeit a very tiny, teeny, tiny path to to getting to the second round of the playoffs. But and I don't have the numbers in front of me. I would have to, to look it up. I don't know if I, I, I would dare to say that no team has ever made a playoff run made it into the playoffs being ranked 28th in the NHL or 30th in the NHL in goal scored. I just, I just don't see the way this roster is currently constructed right now with everyone playing the way if Tanner Janot gets on a heater and Ryan Johansson gets on a heater and you don't same thing. And Forsberg picks it up. And like, if all these things go well, which again, we said this last year and everything went well, I just don't think the predators are that lucky to have two years in a row, <laughs> all these things that need to go right, go right for them. You, you already it, it, had your TCU season last year. You can't be TCU this year. Yeah. If you, if, you, if you ask me, in my opinion, my best case scenario for the Predators is missing the playoffs because then change is forced. Change is forced by missing the playoffs because you have all these players coming off the books next year. You're not going to have all the money to give all these guys raises like they're going to want. You're going to have to move some pieces. Maybe maybe you talk Ryan Johan or Ryan McDonough into moving his no movement clause, waving it so you can trade him off, which I, I don't see that happening, but it maybe it's worth looking into maybe Saros is traded first for some really good prospects and draft picks. Like if you miss the playoffs, then David Poyle doesn't have that crutch to fall back on by saying, look, we're a playoff team, which is he's had that luxury the last couple of years. So again, it's no one knows what best case scenario is in his, in his mind. I I think we're, I think we're 
who knows? That's, that's I, I think I think you are right. The best case scenario for the fan base is to figure out definitively that this is not the team. And and I know nobody wants to hear that, but that is losing like, you know, like 12 out of 14 games and entering mid-February, February, you know that it ain't it and they need to tear it all down. That is probably best case scenario for the franchise that like real life best case scenario for the fans. Best case scenario in David Poyle's mind is all these things going perfectly correct and they have an opera and they get out of the first round and they beat a series, probably because UC Saros does something spectacular. Outside of that, I cannot make a case for this team to be anything but a first round exit for like the fifth straight year. And yeah. that is that is not going to benefit this team in any way. And it sucks that we have to talk like this because I want to try to enjoy like good hockey if they play if they win like nine out of twelve. Fans should be excited about how how the team is playing, and they should be excited about the the being in the moment and watching a, a team that wins. Because right now they have a winning record, but it, it it's not consistent enough. It's not talented enough. It's not good enough to feel like it's going to accomplish anything. And and that's yeah. the and I think that's where people are frustrated. So there you go. Oh, that's, I agree. that's that's where we are. <laughs> that's where we are we'll with this team. Stuff again next week because I'm sure we'll be in the same boat next week. <laughs> Make sure you check out. It's all your fault, of course. Over. Uh, on the uh, It's All Your Fault podcast feed from the Nashville scene in the Nashville Post with Michael Gallagher and Jeremy K. Gover. You can follow and read him, of course, on the Nashville scene and the NashvillePost.coms and at MGSports underscore on Twitter. Please go to Jaspers, everybody. Jaspers just dominating all the epidemics that are affecting Nashville sports fans. Free parking, great food, all that great stuff. Huge partners of the Preds. Great happy hour for all games, home and road, especially when you can't watch them at home because your cable provider is stupid. My name is Braden Gall. Thank you guys all for listening. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. Happy New Year. This has been the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network.